This morning we're going to be looking back in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 today. We've been going through 1 Peter and, and looking at the reminders that 1 Peter is teaching. And as I've been reading 1 Peter, I tell you, it's been a life-changing uh, look for me. And, and I think part of the reason I, I've shared this before, that I oftentimes preach what God is speaking to me in my own life and what he's doing in my own life. And man, there have been some transformational things for me that have come out of Peter. I have walked away with new insights I never had before. And this one today is one that has really just kind of shifted my living a little bit lately. And this is coming out of First uh, Peter's just introduction that he's writing to the church. And over the history of the church, this was often used as a baptismal liturgy that would be read at moments people were being baptized. And you'll see why in a few moments. But I just want to remind you today of who we're talking about here as we talk about First Peter. Peter is addressing exiles in the Roman world. These are people who are not welcome. These are people who have been kicked out of their homes and kicked to the streets, and now they're finding wherever and anywhere that they can live to try to make the Lord known. And obviously, as you're going to see today, that First Peter, is, Peter addresses a big subject throughout his writing, and he talks about suffering a lot. He uses the word suffering over and over again and addresses uh, the pains and the difficulties of what they're going through today. And, and you know, I've found that when I've been going through First Peter, that it is a book that is very relatable. It's a letter that is very relatable for the church today because, oh, how people are suffering, how people are going through difficult times and challenging times, hard times, suffering in their lives. But Peter reminds them of a subject today that I want to share with you, a living hope. We've been talking how this book is a representation. It's not of this world. And Peter is sharing theme after theme. It's not of this world. And today, the thing that we're going to talk about that's not of this world that Peter addresses is a living hope. A living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We've got to take a pause and breathe there. Peter is writing very, one very long sentence, and if this was my English teacher, she would have told me, Charlie, this is the longest run-on sentence ever. And in Greek, it is. This sentence, actually, there is a period inserted here at verse 5, but in Greek, it is actually a sentence that goes all the way until verse 12. It is a very long run-on sentence. In this you rejoice, even if now, for a little while. You have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And although you have not seen Him, I love this verse, although you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him, and rejoice with an indescribable and inglorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter starts this writing by telling them that you have been given birth into a living hope. A living hope. And this is what we're going to talk about today, a living hope. 
It's, it's kind of, a, Peter uses a load of words here that are just very descriptive words, beautiful words when he's talking about an inheritance. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about this living hope. And it's important to recognize that Peter addresses them not just with any hope, not just with some hope you can find here or there. It is a living hope. Because hope of this world Hope that is found in this world is temporary. And we are living in a world today, whether they know it or not, there is longing for hope. When loved ones are sick, the thing we want is hope. When crisis is going on in our life, the thing we want is hope. When violence, terror, and evil is daily on the news, the thing that our world needs and is longing for is hope. Hope that things are going to get better. Hope that things are going to change. Hope that the situation is not going to look like this anymore. And Peter is trying to the same way encourage a world that is living in difficult, challenging times that you have been pressed down, you have been persecuted, you have been beaten, you have financial issues, all of the things that you could possibly think of, but reminding them that we have been given the assurance of a living hope. And how do you and I have this living hope? This is an important part of this narrative that we read here today, that you and I have a living hope, and Peter points it out because of this. You have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's important to recognize, and it's an important fundamental part of our Christian faith, that the only way that you and I have a living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus was crucified, put inside of a tomb, but then rose three days later, gives us a living hope that you and I are not subject to the penalty of death, to the penalty of sin, but through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus, there is a better way, there is an eternal way that you and I have been promised that we may be with the Lord forever. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no eternity. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no promise that our bodies will be lifted to be with the Lord when He recomes again. There is no promise that when you and I, the part when we die, that our soul goes to be with the Lord forever. It is important that we recognize our hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a, it was a beautiful thing that He gave Himself as a sacrificial lamb, but it was also a beautiful thing that He showed Himself as a resurrected Lord, that there is no other God who can come back from the dead. He defeats the penalty of death that is upon every human. It's our hope today, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And apart from Christ, and apart from the salvation he gives, all other hope is fleeting. And Jesus promises us here a living hope, the salvation of our souls. He promises us here a hope that lasts forever, a hope that goes on and on, which we're going to talk about in a few moments, a hope that is eternal. When you think about hope in the terms of our world and what we're living in, it's fleeting, it's momentary. When we think about the hope of something that will happen here on earth, it only happens within the confines of earthly time. But when we think about a living hope, it is something that happens within the confine of time of eternity, which where there is no end. It goes on and on and on. And so Peter does to encourage them about a living hope. He begins to compare and contrast, and this is so important in understanding what Peter is doing here. 
is he begins to compare and contrast their trials and their inheritance. As we just sang about a few moments ago, you will be rewarded. And he begins to tell them, you're going through trials, but there is an inheritance. And, you know, as I've read in Peter lately, and I've just begun to think about this inheritance. Oh, how it has encouraged my soul. How it has encouraged me that how life is fleeting and momentary, the twinkling of an eye, as First Thessalonians tells us. And Peter goes on to say later on in his writing that as to the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a day is like a, or a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. There is no subject of time in the eyes of the Lord. It's moment, it's fleeting, it's temporary. He even goes on to say that, the, that all will pass away, it will wither away, Peter will say later on in his writing. And you'll see here that when Peter writes, he tries to help them realize that the life that you and I have been giving, it is just a moment in comparison to eternity. And in the five chapters of 1 Peter, Peter uses the word heaven five times. He talks about a future judgment five times as well. He talks about a future glory to be revealed seven times. You'll see altogether that Peter tells them really just these 17 times about a future hope, about an eternity, about a glory that is going to be revealed. And Peter constantly, over and over again, trying to paint their eyes and get them to lift their eyes away from the trials that are here and endure for the inheritance that is up ahead. As a matter of fact, as you read 2 Peter, you'll see that Peter begins to write some things that only he could write because of the experience that he had with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he tells them, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty on that mountain. When Jesus came and he took on this glorious form and they heard a voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son and whom I well please. And there's Peter, James, and John looking back and wondering, what is going on here? And Peter actually speaks up if you go back and read that story. Should I build a tent? There's Moses, Elijah here. What should I do? He didn't know what to do. It was so overwhelming. It was so majestic. It was so, it saw Jesus in all of his glory. The same type of glory that Revelation talks about. There's neither sun nor moon in heaven because the lamb is the lamp of heaven. That amazing glory that Peter saw. And obviously this has affected Peter's writing. Obviously, this has changed how Peter writes because all that you hear when you read this is that Peter is just wanting to get to that place, an inheritance, a living hope, an eternity. There is a future judgment. There's a glory to be revealed. Jesus is going to come. There is this constant longing to be in that place with the Lord forever. It tells me that when you behold God's glory, there is nothing more that can satisfy your soul. You are left with a longing that is always wanting that glory. Peter is fixated upon an internal dwelling, and he's trying to inspire these exiles in their persecution that there is a future home that is waiting for them. They don't have a home right now in their exile, or they didn't have a home in their exile. They were pilgrims. They were strangers. They were aliens. But Peter's trying to encourage them that there is a home for you. There is a place for you. You're not welcome here because this isn't even your home, but there is a place that is for you. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he calls it three things when he's talking about this inheritance. And this is so beautiful, amazing here. I love this scripture here. He says you're going to come into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Imperishable means it's immortal. It never dies. 
When you and I are coming into this earth and we have hope, it's hope, hope dies. All earthly hope cannot live beyond this world. It's only stuck on earth. But Peter reminds them that the inheritance that you're going to receive and the place that God is preparing for you, it is imperishable. It's immortal. It never dies. It goes on and on and on and on. And isn't that the terrible thing about earthly hope is that it's fleeting. It only seems to last for a season until the next valley or the next moment of trial in our life. But Peter reminds them that the hope that is coming, the hope that you will experience for eternity, it's imperishable. Secondly, he reminds them that that hope that you're talking about, that salvation of our souls, the inheritance, it is undefiled, undefiled. All earthly hope is blemished by the stain of sin. It's unpredictable. Earthly hope is unpredictable. We don't know if it's going to go through or if it's, if it's not going to go through. It's, it's unpredictable. But Peter calls the inheritance that you and I are going to receive, it's pure. It's spotless. It's blameless. It's beautiful. There is nothing on earth like it. Thirdly, he tells them that this inheritance, it's unfading. Unfading is a word that means perpetual. All earthly hope has a stopping point or a limitation because it's stuck in the confines of human time. But Peter tells them that the inheritance that is coming, it's unfading. It will go on and 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 on some more. It's continuous for all of eternity. And all this hope that you and I live with on the earth, it is troubling to our souls when it goes away. As Proverbs teaches us, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But heavenly hope, the hope that Peter is talking about, the inheritance, it's perpetual forever. Can you imagine that for a moment? We can't imagine that because we don't have a concept of eternity like that. A kind of hope that isn't even aware of time. A kind of hope that isn't stuck by wondering, well, I wonder when this good thing will end no, it's the type of hope that goes on and on and on. And so what Peter does is he tells them, so because you have a living hope, the salvation of your souls, Peter begins to tell them about their trials. And this is so important for us to grasp here today. He begins to tell them about their trials and how the salvation they have is a beautiful thing. And he even goes on and he tells them, the prophets, and I didn't read the scripture, but you can read it later in the other verses. He tells them about the salvation that they have. And he said, the prophets of long ago, they, they were trying to prepare and bring that to you. And he goes on to use this phrase. I love this. He says, even angels long to look into this type of salvation that you have in your soul. And he's telling them that because you have a living hope, he tells them, verse 6, in this you rejoice, even if now for, watch what Peter does, for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter begins to tell them about their trials. And there's another text I want to read to you here in 1 Peter chapter 4, just a couple verses. In verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing in Christ's sufferings so that you may be glad and shout for joy. Here's that phrase I was telling you about earlier, when his glory is revealed. Verse 19, 
Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves, entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Peter tells them four things in this text about their trials. And it's, you can obviously see that Peter is trying to shift their focus. I see you're struggling. I know you're suffering. I know you're being persecuted. Guys, I know it's hard. I've been in it myself. They persecuted it. They beat it us. But I want to tell you, there is a glory that is coming. Listen, here's what your trials really are. He tells them firstly, their trials are meant to purify their faith. That their, their faith is bringing, their trials are being going forward so that the genuineness of their faith might be revealed. So that the genuineness of their faith might come out. And isn't that like trials in our lives? They bring out the, the faith that you and I have been given in our souls. They refine all of the things that have been clinging to us and help us to truly discover the faith that is lying within us, the faith that is going to come to a place where, his, where we will experience Jesus and His glory is revealed. It is meant to purify our faith. That tells us that God does not allow trials. God does not permit suffering to hurt us. God doesn't permit it to abandon us. God doesn't permit it to accuse us. God doesn't permit it for whatever other reason you could possibly think of it. It's because God sees something more in us and he's trying to bring out the best, the genuineness of your faith. We don't need that fake faith. We don't need that type of faith that is worn with a mask, that I can talk real good faith, but I can't live it. No, what Peter's telling them is that you need a genuine faith. The type of faith that says, I have been through it all, but even through it all, I can trust in God. I can stand on his word. I can hold to the enduring word of God. Secondly, he tells them, trials require trust in God. He tells them in 1 Peter 4.19, let those suffering in accordance with God's will... Now, he tells them with God's will, and here's a little side note for those of you who like to study the Bible. He talks about suffering. He tells them, some of you have brought suffering upon yourself because of your sin. But he's telling them there is a godly suffering that comes because of our experience of being in the faith. And so he tells them, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Why did Peter tell them to a faithful creator? Why didn't he say, entrust yourselves to God? Why didn't Peter say, entrust yourselves to any of the other names of God? He tells them to entrust themselves to a faithful creator because the God who begins a good work is the God who creates a good work, is the God who completes a good work. And what he's trying to tell them is be reminded of this suffering. It isn't apart from God's will. God's will is being done in this. And what is happening in your soul is the faithful creator molding, shaping, refining, and creating in you the purpose which with he made you in the very beginning in our mother's womb and he's telling them trials require trust in God it sounds so simple but how difficult it is for many of us suffer in accordance with God's will and entrust yourselves to a faithful creator he's not just any creator he's a faithful creator and if he is faithful you and I have been called to faithfulness as well to surrender ourselves to him, entrusting ourselves in the midst of suffering, in the midst of whatever might come upon us, the trial, the fiery trial that is happening, trust in God. Thirdly, he tells them trials result in praise to God. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, 
being more precious than gold, that though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is an interesting verse that in the past I've often read over. I've skipped over it and just not, have not really considered what, what is really happening in this verse. But as you really look at this verse, you understand that what Peter is telling them about is that our earthly trials will result in an eternal praise to God. And he's telling them when Jesus Christ is revealed, obviously he's talking about a future glory, a future time when you and I are going to stand before the Lord. And so it's a reminder of the song that how we just sang that when we are going through trials and we are being faithful to the Lord and trusting him and serving him in suffering, that when Jesus comes and you and I are standing before the Lord forever, it is going to praise God because of how we faithfully endured the trial and honored him. And the Bible even shows us, and we see this to be true in the life of the church in Hebrews chapter 11. And the Bible talks about the, the altar of the martyrs in Revelation, those who went through great suffering. But because of their faithfulness to the Lord on earthly trials, it attributed to an, an, an eternal praise to the Lord. It's kind of amazing when you think about that what I'm doing right now here and how faithfully I'm serving the Lord in the middle of my suffering is going to be a part of my eternal praise to God. It's going to glorify Jesus when we stand before him. And what an encouraging thing to all of us here today as we just say, it's not in vain. I know that it's difficult. I know that it's challenging. I know that it's hard to keep going. I know that you want to quit. I know that you want to give up. But listen, it's going to praise God when you and I stand before him and say, Lord, it was so hard. It was so difficult. And you know what Jesus is going to say to us? I was there with you through it all. And it's going to praise God that we were faithful to him because he's been faithful to us. Trials result in praise to God. And finally, it tells us this. Trials can be endured because of our living hope. It's a simple statement, but it is what Peter is really trying to tell them, is that you can make it. I don't care what type of trial it is, what type of tribulation it is. If you and I are serving the most high living God, who is the God who made heaven his throne and earth his foothold, we can endure it. Because of our living hope in Jesus the one who came and bore suffering, the one who came and bore pain, the one who every day, we, don't, we think about Jesus being crucified on the cross and the suffering he endured at the latter point of his life, but he endured suffering every day of his life. He went to town after town, wasn't welcome there, kicked out, abused verbally, constantly abuse happening, trial after trial in Jesus' life, but he did it anyways because he loved us. And you and I have the assurance that because Jesus rose from the dead, because he put suffering to, sh uh, he, he kicked suffering out the door as he resurrected from the, that tomb, we have the assurance that I can make it because Jesus is my living hope. My hope is not in anything in this world. My hope has been cast into eternity. And I am just waiting for that hope to one day, it's going to pull me there. I'm going to be with the Lord forevermore. We can endure because of Jesus, our living hope. As the musicians come, I want to encourage you this morning. You're going through a trial. You're going through a tribulation in your life. You're going through uh, difficult things. Take the words of Peter to heart. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're facing because it's going to result in a glory to be revealed.
And you and I can't understand that glory because we haven't seen it yet. But it is going to be a beautiful sight. It is going to be a sight that you and I, when we stand before the Lord, you and I, I think we're going to look back and say, you know what, Lord? Yeah, that was hard, but it was worth it. It was worth it. As Peter talks about an inheritance, I couldn't help but think because he tells them, and I just want to leave this with you to encourage you today. He tells them that their, their faith is being in the genuineness in verse 7. He tells them, if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that though perishable. And I got stuck on that as I was praying over this, though perishable. Because you and I, we think of gold as just this ultimate standard in our world of currency. It's a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful thing. But even gold is perishable. Even gold will fade away. And then I was reminded of how the Bible tells us how John wrote down a sight that he saw in heaven. And John wrote it down for a reason. And John could only use the terms that he understood on earth to describe a heavenly sight. And here John is writing, here he is, uh, he's stuck on the Isle of Patmos, he's been uh, exiled as well. He's in the same circumstance as these believers. And he also found a great hope and a great encouragement from knowing that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And John writes, as he looked up and he says, I see it's built of jasper. It's built of gold. But wait a minute, gold is perishable. So obviously what he saw wasn't gold. It was the best thing he could use to describe as knowing as gold. It's clear as glass. The foundations of the wall city are adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysophrase, jacinth, amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl. On the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. I didn't see a temple in the city, John said, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. I read that, and I think, Oh my goodness, John couldn't even come up with the right words. He used every valuable thing he could think of on earth to describe such a heavenly sight, but it was the encouragement to the church, and it should be the encouragement to us all today that you and I have a living hope, and His name is Jesus. And you and I are not going to land up in heaven, and our focus is going to be on those streets of gold, or the, the, the jewels that are lining the streets. Our focus is going to be on the one who is the light of of heaven, the lamp of heaven, the Lamb of God, God Almighty, and all of the things that we endured, it is going to result in praise and glory. And you and I are going to spend an eternity, all of the things that we've done here on earth, it is going to be result in a glory to God forevermore. And oh, what a wonderful sight it will be when you and I stand up and say, Lord, I wanted to give up, but your presence was with me. It was a trial that I thought was going to crush me, but you sustained me and now I can praise you forevermore. John goes on to say that was a place I saw tears being wiped away. Nevermore was there any pain or agony there because they experienced the Lamb of God. 
And I want to tell you, my friends, today, you're going through a trial. It will be worth it. Don't discount what you're going through. God's will is being at work, and it's repurifying your faith, and it's going to result in a praise to God we can't even measure. We can't even measure. Would you stand with me today? This morning, I just have felt so impressed to pray for you today. You're going through a trial this morning, and you need prayer. You're going through something, whatever it might be. And you just need encouragement today. Listen, we're talking about the church today. There is no greater encouragement than a brother or a sister of Christ coming alongside of you and saying, I'm going to pray for you. I've been going through things too, but I know God can help us. And this morning, you need prayer today. Would you just come forward, stand here at the front? We'd love to pray for you. Love to just encourage you in the Lord. As the choir comes, we're going to sing this song today. But may we be encouraged today to keep going. Oh, things look bleak in our world, but things look beautiful in heaven. Things look terrible here, but we're going to keep enduring because we know that we serve a God of a living hope. You need prayer today. Just come stand at the front. Just come. We're going to pray over you. Some people are going to come, some pastors, some deacons, some prayer team people. They're going to come behind you and pray over you this morning. Every eye closed. Can we just lift our hearts to the Lord this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you today, God that you have given us a living hope. Lord, you have given us a hope that is beyond this earth, a hope that one day, in the moment, in a twinkling eye, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we'll be caught up with you forever, Lord. We know, Lord, you're coming soon, Father, and we know it's our hope to look to Jesus today. We know that, Lord, that apart from this body, the soul is with the Lord forever. And so, God, we thank you today for the hope that though our outward man is wasting away, our inward man is renewed day by day. And we pray this morning strength, encouragement, and life would come to the believer today. Every trial and every tribulation, Lord, that strength would come this morning, Lord, that the church of Jesus Christ would be encouraged to know the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Lord, I pray today strength and power from the Holy Spirit would come this morning. The type of strength that would carry us to keep going, Lord, when we want to quit and we want to give up, Lord, today. Lord, today I pray the Holy Spirit would come and encourage us all this morning. Fresh love, may it cover us. Miracles, signs, and wonders, Lord. May it be a foretaste of our heavenly experience right here.